was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today is a very special 50th episode of Backstage Babble, and to celebrate it, we are joined by one of the brightest stars of Broadway from the 1950s right up until today, the spectacular Cheetah Rivera. In this two-hour conversation you are about to hear, recorded over two days, we talk about all the legendary roles she's originated, including in West Side Story, Bye Bye Birdie, Chicago, Bajor, Bring Back Birdie, Kiss of the Spider Woman, The Rink, The Visit, Jerry's Girls, Mr. Wonderful, Merlin, 1491, and more. The iconic Miss Rivera has also played roles in the revivals of Nine and the Mystery of Edwin Drood, appeared in the film of Sweet Charity, and as an understudy and dancer performed on Broadway in the original productions of Guys and Dolls, Seventh Heaven, Shinbone Alley, and Can Can. On tour, she played in Zorba, Sweet Charity, Call Me Madam, and more, and she has the most Tony nominations of any actor in history at nine. So, without further ado, the legend herself, Cheetah Rivera. Hello, oh, look at how cute you are. Oh, hello. Hi, Charles. Thank look at that. Well, how did you get that background with that red curtain and everything? It looks great. Oh, thank you. I, I thought this one would be appropriate. because Well, it's absolutely appropriate. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so honored to be able to talk to you. Well, you know what? I'm honored myself. Someone so young is interested in the theater and interested in somebody that's been in the theater for a long time. So I'm I'm very proud of you. Great. So I guess if we can start, I want to ask you first how you first got interested in theater and performing. Well, um, well, I was a very energetic kid. I had so much energy and I was a tomboy and I used to walk back fences and I used to ride bicycles and I used to beat all the guys in the neighborhood on skates and bicycles. And so I used to jump the furniture in, the, in, the, in my house. I used to jump from the sofa to the chair, across the coffee table. And so I was just a mess. And so I jumped this one day and I missed and I went through the coffee table. Well, that was not, that did not make my mother very happy. So she decided that she was going to get me out of the house and put me in a school that would control my energy and my imagination. And that was the smartest thing my mother could have done uh, because she, you know, put my energy in, in, a, in, a, in a place where I could be constructive and I loved it. Uh, it, it involved music, it involved um, movement, and it involved, it in, involved uh, challenge. And I think we all need challenges, you know, to find out what, what we can do, you know. So um, 
I just, I just delved into um, my dance classes and uh, so much so I've worked so hard that I did nothing else except go to school and then go to ballet school. And then Mr. Balanchine, George Balanchine from New York City Ballet, um, uh, he was looking for students for the school for scholarships. So he, um, he sent a scout down to Washington DC, which is where I was born. And, and, and I was chosen along with Lewis Johnson, who was my partner in school. And uh, we were chosen for, to try out for scholarships for the American School of Ballet. And so I, I went up there, which was the first time I'd ever been out of Washington. And I was nervous. And um, I, I, I got off the elevator with Miss Jones, my teacher. And I'm walking down the hall and I look to my left and there's this gorgeous, long legged, long body ballet dancer in pink uh, leotards. And I got very nervous. And I said to my teacher, I'm very nervous now because I, have, I had to go in to audition for Mr. Balanchine alone. And so she said, don't be nervous. I want you to just think about what you want out of this and, and just and the expression she used was a very interesting expression I thought it was stay in your own lane in other words don't look right don't look left just focus on what you have to do and that's what I did and I took the audition with Mr. Balanchine and I got a scholarship to New York City Ballet and I went back home to Washington and told my mom that I really liked what I saw. So my mother, my, my father had passed away when I was seven years old and I was about 15 or 16 at this point. And um, I said, I, I would really like to do that. So my mother investigated friends in New York and put me in this, um, house with this, this family. And I started my um, classes at New York City Ballet. But then a friend of mine, it's a long story, but if you're getting the whole thing. Um, then a friend of mine, Helen, I can't remember her last name, asked me if I would audition, if I would go with her to an audition for Call Me Madam with Elaine Stritch. And I said, oh, you poor, because she was so nervous, she didn't want to go by herself. So I said, you poor thing, I'll go with you and I'll try to give you some support. And I wasn't nervous, she was. And this is a lesson in nerves. Because um, I tell youngsters, try uh, to be nervous, try not to be, just focus on what you're doing. And because I wasn't nervous, I went right down and I auditioned with her. I went right down in the front of the audition and there were about 300 people auditioning and for Call Me Madam. And she was all the way in the back. Well, the sad part about this story is that Helen did not get the job. The good part about this story is what? That you did? I did. <laughs> Exactly. And I, I, it was suddenly, 
You know, there used to be an expression, a, a commercial on television where the person that was doing the commercial used to hit their head and say, said, I should have had a VA. Well, that's when I should have come to my, I came to my senses. And I thought, you know, I really like this. Jerome Robbins gave the audition and I went, let me call my mother and see what mother thinks about this. And um, I, uh, mother said, if you really love it, then you should do that. You should not, you know. So I had actually been in the ballet school for a couple of years. Oh. And, um, and when I took the audition with Helen and um, I, you know, I happily got the job and I went out on the road with Call Me Madam. So that I, I took a detour, you know, I didn't, um, I gave up the ballet idea and I went into the theater and I loved, I haven't regretted one moment of it. I've loved every moment. So that's the long story of how I came from Washington DC all the way to New York and then God and call me madam. So do you have any memories of being on tour with Elaine Strickson? Oh, I have so many memories, Charles. I, I um, well, she was very good to me. She was very charitable. She was very, and I was, I must say, I was dedicated. I stood in the wings all the time. I like to watch other people because that's how I learned. And, um, and I was a copycat, you know, so that, that's what we all are. We're all copycats. I mean, if we see somebody, we really like what they're doing. You go, well, maybe I can do that. And you try it. And sometimes you succeed, sometimes you don't. And so I used to stand in the wings and watch Elaine Stritch perform. She was wonderful. And Kent Smith, he was a movie star. And um, he played opposite Elaine. And I, I became her kid, her, her daughter. Um, the one thing I forgot to tell you was I was 17 years old and my mother wanted uh, me to be looked after. So there were two older people in the company that played the Duke and the Duchess. And mother asked them if they would keep an eye on me while I was on the road. Well, I did everything to get out of their sight, <laughs> you know, to have a life of my own. And, uh, but I was never able to go into, in, into any of the bars or to be with the kids because I wasn't interested in drinking. I just wanted to be with the company. But I do remember going to San Francisco and lying to the maitre d' and telling him I was 18 when I was really 17. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, but they'll do it anyhow. So. So one of the first Broadway shows you worked on was Cam Cam, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a great experience because I was acrobatic also. And, um, um, and Can Can, I auditioned for Can Can and it was actually um, in Philadelphia at the time, the original. 
And one of the girls in the company uh, hurt herself. And um, uh, I went to this audition and all they needed was one person and hundreds of girls appeared. And I was lucky enough to make it down to the last two. And I did not get the job that time. I was a kid with choreographer. I did not get the job at that time because I had to, both of us had to um, fit in this other, this other girl's, injured girl's um, costumes and wig. And so um, I didn't do that. Uh, those qualifications I did not pass. And Michael Kidd took me aside and, you know, warmly said to me, I really wanted you in the show. He said, but I promise you, um, you will be the very first replacement. And I was. So um, fortunately, I did. Um, it, not too long after that, uh, they called me and, uh, and I, I was put into the show with the fabulous Gwen Burden and Lilo and Hans Conried. These are names, that, that's a name you would, you would never know. And, um, and it was a wonderful show to be in, uh, a show you had to really concentrate in doing. Uh, not that you don't concentrate in any show, but this show was acrobatic. And so, you know, you were flying through the air and doing cartwheels and splits and backflips and all that sort of stuff. But I, I loved it. And it was in that show that actually the Gwen Verdon said to me, Cheetah, I think that you should really concentrate on um, having possibly uh, a part that uh, uh, represents you. You should really not think about, oh, uh, that, that, uh, I forgot to tell you the part of that. Um, we, I was auditioning for her understudy with several other girls from the company. And she said to me, you are, you should really focus on having a role of your own. And that gave me such confidence, you know, because I never, I never thought, you, you, you know, when you're a dancer, you, you just, just dance, you know, you want to dance, you love to dance and you dance. And most dancers don't have a tremendous ego. They just um, want to dance and want to be with other dancers. And so it was Gwen that gave me the confidence to, to uh, seek out my own personal roles. Yeah. So would you and uh, Gwen Verdon stay sort of in contact until Chicago or was it sort of like you were meeting again? Well, it was like we were meeting again because I went out on the road and she did her things. And so we were never, you know, in the same city. Um, Dancers are like that. They're very friendly and, um, and they rely on companions. They rely on the guy on the left and the girl on the right, you know, and, um, and it's a wonderful, the, the chorus is a wonderful place to be. Um, that whole mentality is a very nice mentality um, because we help each other and we like to dance with each other. 
So Gwen and I did not, um, um, but when we got together again for Chicago, boy, were we excited. We were very, I mean, I remember standing behind her um, with a hat and the cane and um, the, and the drum opened like this and there were the two of us and we came downstage together. But before the drum opened, I remember looking at her and saying to myself, oh my goodness, I'm standing next to Gwen Burton. And that was a wonderful moment for me to, um, you know, to, oh, the sun is coming through. Do you see it on my face? I oh, do. I've got a half. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that, that was a nice moment for me. Look at that sun come through here. Ooh. Sorry, Charles. Oh, so no, no. Charles. So I want to ask you about one of the first big roles you had, which was in Seventh Heaven. So what was it like to be working with Peter Gennaro on this, who was another? Wow. Well, if you ever get a chance to see any of the Perry Como shows or any of the shows that he danced on, he was a heck of a dancer and a, a, a wonderful choreographer because he also choreographed um, the dancing that um, the Sharks did in West Side Story, in the original West Side Story. It, uh, he was um, Jerome Robbins' assistant and Jerome Robbins asked him if he would choreograph all of our stuff. So I, I knew him quite well. And when we did Seventh Heaven, it was a, a fun part. Um, and uh, I was with two other girls and um, the music was wonderful, but Peter's choreography was so alive and so rhythmical and, and you really wanted to dance, you know. Um, his choreography made you want to dance. You wanted to move that hip and move that shoulder and turn that head and, and just do a little saw. It was kind of saucy, you know, it was really kind of saucy, but it was, it was complicated because he had very intricate footwork and very fast footwork. So it was a, a, a great challenge for all of us. So I loved Seventh Heaven was great. It was with uh, Ricardo Montalban and Gloria de Haven. Yeah. I want to ask you, when you were working with all these stars earlier in your career, would they sort of teach you anything for when you later became a star? They taught me everything, Charles. They taught me absolutely. That's, that's my dictionary. Every person that I have ever worked with and um, have, have been, uh, every person has been um, a, a great, uh, they've had a great effect on my life. Uh, my uh, choices, fortunately, I, um, I was around uh, a wonderful time when <clears throat> the shows were amazing and um, the, the scores were uh, amazing, the choreographer, and they were, uh, there were a lot of shows um, at that time. And I was around for them. Um, and I, I learned from every single one of those people that I worked with. 
I had to because I stood in those wings all the time and I watched. They didn't get away with anything with me. <laughs> Have you got so I do want to ask you about another big star you worked with, which was Sammy Davis Jr. on your next show, Mr. Wonderful. So well, you know, I was I, I was a, a terrible snob. Uh, I really was because Sammy was from nightclubs. And I thought, my goodness, we don't have nightclub people in the theater. They belong in nightclubs. <laughs> theater people belong in theaters. Well, how stupid was I and how snobbish was I? Um, the form of the show was the whole first act was the, the book. So Sammy was a character and I was a character. And and Olga James and Jack Carter, they were all characters in that first. And it was working, the first act was working towards the second act, which was um, his nightclub act. So we were all sitting on the stage in the second act and we, we were blessed. We were fortunate enough to watch his club act in the second act. And I certainly um, ate crow, as they say, uh, because um, I learned that he was a brilliant actor. And uh, of course we knew that he was a wonderful singer and dancer, but can you imagine being entertained every single night like that? Um, so it was extraordinary and he was a very nice guy. You know, he loved the theater. He worked his buttocks off. He, he, he really did. He, he worked hard every single day, never missed a show. And his father, uh, Sam Sr. and Will Maston, it was called Sammy Davis and the Will Maston Trio. And um, it was wonderful watching them every single night. Um, uh, and, and then it, it was a joy going into the theater every night, you know, looking forward to um, doing that show and then sitting in the last half of it and, and watching, you know, you learn so much from these people when you, when you watch the choices they make, yeah. you know, even though the script is the same, the wonderful thing about live theater is that it's live. You know, the, what you hear from the audience is at that moment, it's real. And um, I, that's what I love about the theater anyhow. I love the fact that it's, um, it's immediate. It's an immediate feeling. You do something and you, you get whatever it is that you are, if you, if, if you do it right. And uh, yeah, um, I, I, I'm glad I haven't heard any boos yet. <laughs> you know. So I do want to go back for a second to get <clears throat> something I missed, but don't want to miss, which is Guys and Dolls, which you were in. Well, Guys and Dolls, Boy, I went, there were some fabulous dancers at that time. And all those dancers 
eventually became choreographers or teachers or something like that, which is great uh, because their experience is exactly what you young'uns need. <laughs> but um, Guys and Dolls, I replaced, I was a replacement in that show. And I replaced a, a woman called Anna White. Oh. Anna White was a choreographer. She was a, a, a originally um, a, a dancer uh, in the chorus. And she got older and she decided she wanted to choreograph and she did just that. So she um, choreographed the, the uh, she was in um, Seventh um, Guys and Dolls. And um, so um, I, I had a pretty good part in that. And uh, <clears throat> the choreography was great, but um, <clears throat> the chorus was uh, exceptional. All the dancers were really terrific. And, um, and uh, you know, that was an experience I had on Broadway. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you about um, <clears throat> standing by for Eartha Kitt in Shinbone Alley, which you done. So did you get to go on as that part ever or a lot or? I did. I did eventually get a chance to go on and I loved it. Eddie Bracken played Mahitable. Archie, uh, Archie, I played Mahitable. And, and uh, Eartha Kitt played Mahitable. And um, I used to sit up with Jacques Demboise, who was a brilliant, um, you know the name? Yes, yes, I. Good, I, good, good. Um, brilliant ballet dancer and a wonderful teacher now. And um, he, uh, he and I and Arthur Mitchell uh, um, used to sit stage left up in the balcony. And we used to watch the shows together. And um, it was wonderful sharing those times with them. But um, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, it was a, a very cute show. It was about, <coughs> I think, a cockroach and a cat, something like that, something crazy like that. And, um, I, I, and I, I don't remember how many times I went on, but I had a good time when I eventually did go on. Um, I, and I think I was pretty good too because she got a little nerve. So I want to ask you next about, of course, West Side Story. So what was your audition for this like? How did you get involved at first? Well, I was told about, I was, I think I was in a, I think I was in Mr. Wonderful at the time. And the stage manager told me there was an audition that was happening uh, for a show called, I think it was called West Side at the time. It went through many different titles, um, including East Side Story, I believe. But um, I, I went, and um, and I, I, you know, I made it to the singing audition, and they must have seen me because they were um, they were pairing off dancers with male dancers, the female dancers with male dancers. And so they, they wanted to see me with a, a, a wonderful guy named Kenny Leroy. And he played um, um, Bernardo. 
And so he, he got that and they were thinking of me as Anita and I had no idea that they were thinking of me as a, you know, I was, would have been happy in the course, but um, uh, they had, they had, you know, bigger things for me. And uh, Leonard Bernstein asked me if I would come up to his apartment and sing for him. And I did just that. And um, I was a nervous wreck, mind you. I was a nervous wreck. And I was sitting right next to him. He was right here. And I, I kept saying, oh, dear God, please don't let me throw up all over Leonard Bernstein's piano. <laughs> I was so scared. And he taught me all the, all the music that Anita had to sing in West Side Story. And when I went back to see uh, Jerry Robbins and Peter Gennaro and all the other, and Stephen Sondheim and Arthur Lawrence, they paired me off with Kenny uh, Leroy and um, uh, and we got the parts, you know, it was really, really exciting. I was next door, uh, I went next door to the restaurant next door after I got the part and Larry Kurt had just gotten Tony and Carol Lawrence had just gotten Maria. So we celebrated in this restaurant and uh, Larry Kurt said, oh, it's just my luck. I hope I don't leave this restaurant and go hit and get hit by a car because I, you know, just my luck that that would happen. But we had a wonderful time and I met my uh, husband in West Side, Tony Mordenti, who was um, played the part of Arab and he was absolutely brilliant. And uh, we got married and had my daughter, Lisa, and then we went off to London and it, it was an extraordinary, the company was extraordinary, it was so brilliant. And we knew that what we were doing was important. Yeah. We knew that it was important to the theater and we knew that um, we were, were having a, we were saying some very important things that had to be listened to and we had to portray um, these characters properly. Yeah. So what do you sort of remember about rehearsing with Jerome Robinson? What that was like? Well, I remember everybody was scared. You know, we all wanted to get it right. And, um, and I know he liked Tony so much. I mean, he was, Tony was one of his favorites. And I have to say, I was one of his favorites. Uh, but we worked really hard. We really, you know, put our heads down and, and um, because it was difficult and new stuff. You know, uh, Peter Gennaro's choreography for us was, um, was exciting. And uh, I remember Jerry Robbins saying, now the one thing while you're here, um, cause he taught us how to dancers, how to act. He really did. We had never acted before. And, um, and he said, I, want, I don't want any of you sharks talking to any of you jets and vice versa in rehearsals. You're, you don't like each other. And I want, you to want that to be the way you are in rehearsals. Well, not only did I not <laughs> obey him, 
but I went and fell in love with uh, Jet and, <laughs> and married him. And, you know, so you never can tell. You never can tell. So at what point in the original process of West Side Story did you know that it was going to be what it was? We didn't know, and I don't think you ever know. Um, you can feel that what you're doing is important, but I, I think that you should feel with anything that you do, it's important. Yeah. Whether or not the critics say it's important, you know, a lot of wonderful, wonderful, important shows have died yeah. because, you know, they were not, it was a bad timing or the critics didn't like it. It doesn't mean that it wasn't, it wasn't good. You know, not all things are bad, you know. So you have to have luck on top of working hard. You have to be ready and you have to have some luck. So I, if I were you, I'd pray for some luck too, okay? <laughs> so, you know, we, we didn't know until we got to Washington DC and the audience, suddenly we heard the audience. We had not had an audience in rehearsals. Um, we had a, um, what do they call them? Uh, it's a it's a it's a rehearsal where you invite um, people in the business oh, and um, a gypsy run through. Yes, we had a gypsy run through. Thank you. <laughs> and um, and of course, you take a gypsy run through uh, with a little bit of grain of salt, <laughs> you know, because they're your friends and they're in the same business and. They're not the ones that say whether or not you uh, are gonna exist. And so we did have a gypsy run through and that was very exciting. But it wasn't until I got to Washington DC and at the end of America where the audience wouldn't stop applauding. And um, we were bumping into each other in the wings and Jerry Robbins was there and he said, uh, and I said, oh, the kids were saying, pardon me, the kids were saying, um, what do we do? Should we go back out and take a bow? And Jerry said, no, you go right downstairs, you get out of your clothes, you change for the next scene, the show goes on. And so that's, you know, we learned that one thing uh, that day, that the show goes on, yeah. period. You know, so we didn't we didn't know until we got the reviews and rave reviews that day. And and an example of um, uh, you know, West Side did not win a Tony that year, and it should have, but it didn't. And um, and the show that won it was a wonderful show, but it doesn't. It's not the classic that West Side has proven to be. Yeah. So that, that's the example of, one of the examples of, um, of uh, taking your work seriously and not letting anybody else tell you anything less. Yeah. So you were mentioning that the next thing you did was take the show to London. So was the experience different at all there or? Absolutely, it's, it's a wonderful question because 
because um, the Teddy Boys were existing in London at the time. And the Teddy Boys were sort of like our gangs here, except I think they had more style. They had great coats and they just looked good. And, um, but when we got to London, I, well, I, I think what happened here was with your reviews, um, I think the American audiences thought that the problem was right in their backyard. Well, it was, but it was also in the backyard of England. But England didn't feel that way. England decided with open arms, and it was extraordinary. The reviews were extraordinary. We opened at Her Majesty's Theatre, and it was. I was married then, and I had my baby, Lisa. And, uh, and so the whole family was over in London, so close to Europe, you know, and we had great reviews. So what was there not to be happy about? They got it. They really got what Westside was all about. So it was a joy to do that show. And I believe Zeffirelli's, uh, Franco Zeffirelli, the great Italian director, um, he had, he directed Romeo and Juliet, and it was on at the same time uh, we were in London. So there was a nice um, meeting between our characters, which were the modern day Romeo and Juliet, and, um, and Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. So that was a nice, really nice uh, time for us. Really nice. I, I hope that you and your listeners will have an opportunity to um, experience some of the um, luck that we had back in, in, in that time. Um, I hope that there, there are going to be when, please God, this pandemic is over. Um, there will be some wonderful shows that you will be proud of, that you will do, and, uh, and you'll have the luck that uh, some of us had. I consider myself a very lucky person, but on the other hand, I was ready, Charles. Oh, yeah. I was ready. And that's what I have to tell the, the younger kids, just be ready. Now, which show have you done in school? Oh, oh I was in Into the Woods. Oh, how nice. Oh, very nice. I didn't do that show. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't do that show, but that's not, that's lovely. Um, so you went right from the big hit of West Side Story to another I, big hit, which was Bye Bye Birdie. So what would... Yeah. Oh, Bye Bye Birdie. Well, I always said that Bye Bye Birdie was the other side of the coin. If you have a quarter or 50 cent piece, and here's West Side Story on the one side, you flip it over and you have Bye Bye Birdie. That's how opposite they were. And I also have described, I've described um, Bye Bye Birdie as being Technicolor um, because it was a joyous, fun, uplifting musical. Dick Van Dyke, was everything that you would want him to be. And, uh, and he's that way now. Um, it was a joy working with him. 
Um, and Gower Champion was our director and he was from Hollywood. So, you know, you have one end and the other end and he was brilliant. And he had some great ideas. The Shriners Ballet was a great idea, even without Rosie, without the girl. You know, it was great with just the Shriners behind that long table, you know. Um, it, it it was wonderful. It was absolutely, I had the best time in Bye Bye Birdie. I just laughed all the time. And my daughter did it in summer stock. Oh. And she had a great time. And, um, you know, and it was great sharing the stage with young, really young teenagers like that. And I remember clearly the um, the telephone hour and the kids were on the telephone. And when I read it in the script, I went, oh, no, 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 this will never work. This will never work because no parent is going to let their kids stay on the telephone for <laughs> hours and hours talking to each other. Well, how wrong was I? I was so wrong. And I learned my lesson. And um, but it was so cute the way he he choreographed in these cubicles, the kids on the telephones. And uh, and then, of course, there's Elvis, you know, there's Elvis Presley, who was um, um, at that time very much, you know, alive and everybody was swooning over Elvis Presley. Yeah. So. Um, um, it was it was great. It was great. I, I could not have asked for anything better. Yeah, I do want to ask you about um, Paul Lind, who was in that show, who was an actor that. I'm... Do you know Paul Lind? I mean, yes, it... yes, I do. Well, he was just a cantankerous old thing. <laughs> he he was um, he was so funny when he um, uh, at first. Um, when we started rehearsals, his part as the father was about 12 lines. But as we worked in rehearsals, he was so funny. And the kid that played his son, Randolph, was so adorable and so scared of him that he would, he would ad lib. Paul would ad lib and, and the writer, Michael Stewart, would write it into the script and it ended up being this huge, huge part and rightfully so. You see, that's another lesson learned. You know, if you are yourself and um, you're not over um, anxious or you, you know, you try to change of the writer's words, you don't want to do that. But um, parts can be changed in rehearsals, you know, so you never know, you never know. Yeah. So I do want to ask you, um, there have been a lot of revivals of both West Side Story and Bye Bye Birdie, but what would you want to sort of say to anyone who was taking on those parts again? I would say, those shows were hits. Those shows are hits. Those shows do as your director and your choreographer tell you to do. Don't think you know better. 
than what is written on that page because, um, because they were successful. And I would never, I would never attempt to change anything. Um, take it seriously and enjoy, really enjoy the success that it has been and have respect for the pieces, have, definitely have respect, but feel, uh, feel as though you're a lucky guy or gal to be doing it, you know? Um, I, I think, I, I think anybody that does um, any of those shows that have proven to be wonderful hits with the Gower Champions and the Jerry Robbins and the Bob Fosses and the Jack Coles and all of the, and the Peter Generis, all of those great people, um, be respectful. Yeah. And um, don't think you know more than the director because you don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned um, Jack Cole, which leads me into asking you about Zenda, which you've done with him and Alfred. My goodness. You really did your homework. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, I'm so impressed with you. I can't believe it. Um, Jack Cole was the originator of jazz dance. He, uh, uh, Bob Fosse came from him. Gwen Verdon came from him. Carol Haney came from him. Um, a lot of uh, great, great dancers came from him and he was really difficult. Uh -huh. And oh, he would scare you half to death. I mean, if you, if you didn't run out of the room crying, then you had, you had, you know, some, what do I want to say? Um, Gullions, you had some, you know, you really, um, you had something. Um, and you were learning something. Um, Jack Cole in Zenda was extraordinary. Um, he, uh, he scared everybody half to death, as I said before. And, uh, and, um, but he was extraordinary um, in his teaching and his style. If you were to look at musicals on television, the Matt Maddoxes, uh, the, uh, the um, what's his name, Lisa, Tommy Rawl. Uh, if you were to look at any of the old, uh, um, Lisa, what's the name? Seven Brides. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. The guys in that movie were Jack Cole dancers and they are extraordinary. Um, Michael Kidd did that particular movie, but the boys in that were Jack Cole dancers. So Jack was scary, but Jack was worth being scared by. You understand? Yeah. Absolutely. It, you just shut up and you just took, but he used to do a clap. And for hours you would practice this clap, but it had to sound a certain way that was that's what that's good that's not that's not good when it rings there it is that third one was the sound 
you would practice that until your hands were raw. But he wanted that look up here and he wanted that sound. So that's how hard they had to work with Jack. Yeah. It's hard work being in the theater. It's good though, because you feel like you've done something. Yeah. Not like now, I'm doing nothing now. <laughs> So I want to ask you sort of briefly um, about, you've been nominated for the most Tonys of any actress ever. So what do you sort of remember about award ceremonies and about the many Tonys? Well, one I remember uh, specifically because my mother had just passed away and I was very sad that she wasn't there because I was nominated for the rink with Liza and Minnelli, and whose birthday, by the way, is, I believe, March, 12th. March what? 12th. 12th. Uh, so if you want to say, happy birthday, Liza, you can. Um, but um, when they announced my name, and I think it was Ben Vereen, who's a friend of mine, that announced my name. And when I stood up, I felt my mother stand up with me. You know, and um, and I felt her walk up the steps with me and give my speech with me. Um, so I was sad that she wasn't there for it, but she was. And um, so what 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 you remember is dressing up, um, seeing people. You know, hello, how are you? Oh, you look so wonderful. Oh, that, oh, that dress, oh, that dress. You know, all of that. But then the nerves you get, yeah. if you're nominated, you get very, very nervous. I remember one time I was nominated, um, I think it was Halston, that it was dress I wore and it was beads. And when I stood up, the beads had stuck together and, um, <laughs> And I was not presentable, I remember. And I remember pulling that thing down. And actually it caused me um, to make, to crack a joke uh, in my club act. I say, um, oh, the, the time I won, um, I, uh, I, I was glad I wore the bottom of the dress. I insinuated that I had, after that one thing getting stuck, I never wore the bottom of the dress again. <gasps> you know, so I'll do anything for a laugh, Charles. <laughs> so the next show you did on Broadway is one of my favorite cast albums, which is Bajor. So I want to ask you about doing this show. Well, oddly enough, I just talked to Nancy Dusso, one of uh, the co-stars. So such a, I think Nancy has my favorite voice in the, in the theater. She has the most beautiful voice. Uh, and so Nancy and Gus Draconis and Herschel Bernardi and, um, oh, who was my father? In what? In, in Bajor. Herschel Bernardi. No, Herschel Bernardi. Herb Edelman. Herb Edelman. These were wonderful. Um, it was it was really a, a lot of fun. Um, we were gypsies, and um, and so and Peter Gennaro did that choreography. 
you know, so that was exciting. It was very exciting. Uh, I don't think we ran too long, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure, but it was a great show to do. Everybody's looking for the big shoot. Everybody's looking for the one big break. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I, that, that was fun. That was fun. We got off a lot of energy in that show. <laughs> and actually, uh, when I did that show, I had some real gypsies visit me in my dressing room. And it was a little scary because they were, I mean, the, 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 the head of the, the clan, you know, I, I guess there were about eight of them. And I think they came to see the show just to be curious about um, what we were doing. And in order for me to do that show properly and to be a fortune teller, I chose um, to go to a fortune teller's um, uh, ofisa, they call them, ofisa. And, uh, and so I, th this gypsy really read my palm and my cards and then charged me an, an, an enormous amount of money. She really took me like gypsies do. Yeah. They take you. <laughs> and I, and I, all I could do was laugh because that's exactly what I have to do, had to do. You know, I had to be, you know. And I, I sang a song called Mean. I'm a mean. I'm a big time, I mean, yeah, yeah, that was, that was fun, that was fun, yeah, so that was a, a you like the music to that show, huh? Yes, yes. Good, yes. good, good, good. Yeah. Oh, I, I did want to say, just because you mentioned it, that I'm actually interviewing Nancy Dusso next week. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh, give her my love. Husband. Oh, I will. Is, yes, she's a great gal. She's I just talked to her just last week. Um, she she was feeling a little lonely because of the you know everything that's going on. And um, and she and Lisa are connected uh, on um, Facebook uh, uh -huh. because they're both animal lovers, you know. And Nancy is also one of the funniest people. You could, you'd never know it because she doesn't look like a clown. She's a cute, adorable little perky <coughs> thing. I do want to ask you about um, one of the movies you did, which was Sweet Charity with Sherman. Um, Well, I have, that's the only movie I've done. Um, uh, I loved it. Um, it was uh, a new experience for me. Um, you know, shooting the end of a scene at the beginning and, uh, you know, the, totally the opposite from the theater. But I had the fabulous Paula Kelly with me and, um, and Shirley MacLaine, who was uh, a friend of ours when she was in the chorus in, the, in, in um, Pajama Game or something. I can't remember what she was. And uh, she, she, I think she was Carol Haney's understudy. And she went on and then she was discovered by somebody in the audience and she was taken out to California and became a huge star. But it was really nice being back with her again. 
And um, she really had to dance hard to dance in between Paula and myself because yeah. Paula was a fabulous dancer. And um, so we, we had a great, great, great time. And that was with Bobby. Yeah. Fawcett, you know, so um, every time, I, I, I never tire of, of actually seeing that movie. Yeah. When it's on, I will watch it. And I don't usually watch anything I do. So I do want to ask you, um, when you are doing a movie like that, did you find that you had to change the way you performed at all? Because it was for the camera rather than? Actually, I didn't, you know, I, but I, it was a lack of, of, of experience, I think, because I only did one film and that was that. So I don't have much experience in um, making films. Um, and, I, and I'm perfectly happy with that, uh, you know. Um, had I had another film to do, had it fit in my life, um, I would have welcomed it, I'm sure. Um, I'm very happy that I had Bye Bye Birdie when they were filming West Side Story um, because I couldn't have done that anyhow. Yeah. Um, because I had already signed the contract for Bye Bye Birdie. And thank God, Bye Bye Birdie was a hit. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been terrible if it had been a bomb? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. You know, it's so cute the way you go, yes. yes. It's so adorable. You're really adorable, Charles. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so. Yeah. I want to ask you about another sort of rare show you did, which was 1491 with- oh, oh my goodness. Do you ever go out with your friends? You're forever, you're just listening to these albums. 1491, I did that in 1491. <laughs> no, I didn't, yeah. no, I didn't. Um, uh, no, it was in California and it was for Ed Lester, Edwin Lester, who was a great man to work for. He was a producer of the Civic Light Opera and he, uh, he's, he formed um, the theater out there so brilliantly. He always brought great people to the state of California um, and, uh, and brought great theater to them. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be hired by Edwin Lester to do several shows. Uh, 1491 was with Alfred Drake. And I was always uh, a, a, such a huge fan of Alfred Drake. He was a great singer. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, was it? Which one was, oh, Zenda was Alfred. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm so wrong. Um, th that was John Cullum, 1491. That was right. And that's when he sang, sail on, sail on. That's when he discovered um, uh, America. Oh, John, you see, that's another one. John Cullum. He was extraordinary. Um, that's, how, that's that luck I was telling you about that, you know, you, um, if you're fortunate enough to, um, to work with great, great people. Um, and, um, and I, you know, I played, I played a, oh gosh, what was her name? 
1491, I can't remember her name, uh, but Mary, no, see, I get 1491 and Zenda mixed up, um, but it was great. It, it, it was, it was great. It, it, we used to take the shows in LA at the Civic Light Opera, the Amundsen or the Drury Lane, no, Dorothy Chandler. And we used to take it from there up to San Francisco to the Geary Theater. Yeah. So that was the route it always went, uh, LA to San Francisco. And so you could always rely on a wonderful amount of work if you were hired to, to go to California to work for the Civic Light Opera. Uh, I, ha I have not worked for them in many a year, um, but um, uh, I always loved it. I, I, I always had such a great time. And I did do a show called Zenda out there. I played the Mary Astor part. That, that's a, a movie, they did a movie of Zenda uh, before we did the play. And uh, the actress was uh, Mary Astor, and I played her role on the stage. And Alfred Drake was extraordinary. He was just uh, mind-boggling. Uh, he sang and presented himself like he was seven feet tall, and he was probably five foot four. <laughs> I mean, he was not tall at all, but he had one of those wonderful voices, you know, that had a lot of resonance in it. Yeah. So I guess if I can start, I want to ask you about Chicago, which is about where we left off last time, I think. So okay. I guess I want to ask first how you first got involved with it, how it first started. Well, Fred Ebb and John Kander had written so many things before, and I had done um, Zorba, Zorba the Greek, and I did it with John Rage. And we did it on the road. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, because I've done nothing but talk about you ever since I spoke with you yesterday. I was so admired. I mean, I so admired the kind of work that you do. But anyhow, so I did Zorba and I loved it with John Ray. And while I was out in California, I think I got a call from Fred Ebb. And he said um, that they wanted me to do Chicago. And they had written uh, this show for Gwen and myself. And so um, uh, I said, oh, are you kidding? <laughs> are, are you joking me? <clears throat> and I left and um, I packed up Lisa and myself and we came back to New York. So um, it was a, a, a dream come true that particular um, uh, experience. It was really quite wonderful. What else do you wanna know about Chicago? Oh, I do want to ask you next what it was like to be working with Bob Fosse in rehearsals. Well, it was, uh, he's very intricate and well, he's, he's a wonderful, first of all, he was a wonderful dancer, Charles. He was, he was very well-rounded. He had ballet training, he had tap training, he had jazz training. And so he could, he could do uh, just about any kind of dancing. And he, he did, did a lot in films. And um, so um, Chicago was um, his style, that um, very tight 
intricate little movement kind of style. Um, he had worked on with Gwen and perfected it. And uh, so he decided that he was going to, that was what he was going to do in Chicago. And so it was a wonderful challenge for all of us to um, suddenly pull back because dancers like to fly and to pull back and <clears throat> really be precise in our movement and learn a, a brand new style. So that's what we did. Um, we wanted to please him as dancers all always do. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and we did, and, and look what we got out of it, you know? Yeah. Um, if you do as you're told, uh, and you have, happen to be working with a genius, um, then you come, out, you come off like a genius yourself, practically. Mm -hmm. So it was really exciting because he showed his emotion when he was happy with what you did. <clears throat> and so you were satisfied because you knew that you pleased him and you got something back also. And I also want to ask you about Gwen Verdon and Jerry Orbach too, who was? Well, gosh. Well, um, Jerry is not, well, Gwen isn't with us either, gosh. Um, oh, golly. Jerry, what people didn't know about Jerry was that, um, Jerry seemed like a gangster, you know. He was he was he was tall and he was ferocious and that voice of his, and he had a wonderful singing voice. And um, Chicago was tongue in cheek, and um, so you had to you have to had to do one thing and you meant another. And Jerry to play opposite us because he was kind of the reality of what <clears throat> um, bad people were doing and we were sort of like the um, the dream girls you know um, and we were pretending to be adorable but we were actually murderesses you know so um, that's what was so charming and so much fun about Chicago because uh, you could, uh, the story carried you um, into these dark or these colorful places. Jerry Orbach was a swell guy. You would have liked him. You would have really liked him. You would have liked his worth ethics. And, uh, and he was, and he played, I love it. He played uh, poker downstairs with the stagehands uh, when he wasn't on stage. So he had the big cigar in his mouth and he was playing cards downstairs. And, um, and that was, I thought, really very, very cute. And then Gwen, of course, was the sweetheart of, of, of all. She, um, she was wonderful to work with. She was very giving. Uh, she shared everything. Um, and uh, we we had an, an awful lot of fun. We were we were clowning around. I don't like uh, to tell too many stories about how much we clowned around uh, because it sounds very unprofessional. But um, you can clown around if you know how to do it and you don't destroy the book or you don't destroy your performance. So we had a great time. We were like sisters, really. 
you know, uh, and so, um, and, and we were glamour girls who were really naughty girls, <laughs> you know, and, and Fosse is, is so, was so uh, extraordinary with females. Uh, he gave um, uh, a movement that was naughty, but nice and um and colorful and uh, uh, and uh, and funny he he was a terribly funny man as was Gwen she was not a funny man but she was a funny woman <clears throat> uh, is did I describe enough of her for you oh yes yes and I mean, I'm I'm sorry I, I was about to say <clears throat> pardon me um that um I used to watch her in films and I never dreamt that one day I would be standing um, beside her. And that day came and thank God I was ready for it. And um, so uh, Chicago came out of it. So we were lucky. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so I want to ask you, you've created so many show-stopping numbers in your career like America and of course all that jazz. So do you think that there's an art on your end to that other than the normal? Um, well, I don't create it. The choreographer mm -hmm. creates it. I, I'm um, cast, which is great. And, um, and a part is written with me in mind. <clears throat> And uh, the choreographer choreographs it with my movement and the way I move in mind. So it's a, con a collaboration between everybody, actually. Um, yeah. And I just listen and do. Um, you know, uh, I did not create America. Peter Gennaro created America. Leonard Bernstein created America, um, and um, and 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 it, it's the same with I, I I bring energy and I bring my spirit and my soul to the piece, um, but uh, that's what I bring. I I don't create the steps. Well, I I know you know that you know <laughs> you know, but um, it's important that the kids know to trust themselves and, um, uh, and, and do as they're told. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you also worked um, during Chicago with a few other Roxies as well, including Liza Minnelli, who- Oh, Liza. Oh, well, Liza was so adorable. She wanted to do that part. She asked to do that part. She was, a, of course, a great friend of uh, Fred Ebb and John Candard's. And um, she knew that Gwen was not well. And I believe I was told that she said, oh, please, let, can I do it? Oh. And which I think is so great. And um, she was very smart to have done that role because it was just another experience for her yes. uh, to learn more about choreography and style and, <clears throat> and uh, a wonderful show. So, um, it was, it was adorable. It was uh, very, very different from Gwen uh, because Liza is different from Gwen. Gwen is different from Liza. So they bring, as I said before, 
You bring your own self to a role. You, and you sing the same songs, dance the same dances. In some cases, they change a few things, you know, but in most cases in the theater, um, when you uh, go in for replace someone, um, you do exactly what was uh, originally choreographed or written. Yeah. And I do want to ask you about Chicago, if that show changed a lot during rehearsals or changed at all? Or... Well, it does change. That's, what, that's what's so great about rehearsals because you're thrown in a room and you try, it's a tryout time. Yes. You try this, you try these notes, you try that note. You, uh, in the room, you usually have the writer, um, the, uh, um, uh, the composer, um, the choreographer, the director, and uh, they, they all are looking at you and at the piece, um, trying to make sure that it fits. It is exactly what they want. Um, many things do change. When you go to Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia is full of, uh, of uh, numbers that have been tried out and thrown out and replaced. I mean, Spanish Rose was uh, in Bye Bye Birdie was put in after we opened oh. or during, during previews or something like that. They didn't like the way it was, what was in its place was working. So they wrote another piece. And it, it, it's a wonderful, it's a frightening time too, because uh, the creators have to come up with things, with, with uh, things really fast, sometimes overnight. And so they're writing all day long, all night, all night long. So it's a very, you know, out of town is a very valuable uh, time and uh, you have to give all of your attention um, at, at all times but uh, out of time is, is, is very uh, very uh, um, important. Uh, let me think in Chicago I think uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure but I, I almost think that the my agent's song was changed while we were out of town. Um, uh, but I'm, I can't remember, it's been so long, Charles. It's been such a long time ago. I, I think that was David Rounds who his song. <clears throat> Absolutely. <clears throat> Pardon me oh, for coughing like this. Um, David was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, he sold that, uh, that number brilliantly. As a matter of fact, the song that came afterwards, we were worried about because his number went so well. We were afraid that the next number wouldn't. Uh, but David was so great. I'm so glad you, his name came out of your mouth because he's a, um, a, a very, very gifted guy. Very gifted. So you've had many collaborations with Candor and Ebb on this and the rink and the visit, but I do want to ask you what your collaboration is like with them. Oh, well, first of all, they're friends, you know, and I, I just think they're 
to me, the top. I mean, I've worked with the, the greatest. I mean, Leonard Bernstein, Jerry Herman, and <laughs> Julie Stein, and so many fabulous people. But Freddie and John really know me. Freddie is really a funny lyricist. He can go, he does the span. He can go from the funniest thing in the world. And he did rap before I even heard about rap, but that's a whole other thing. Um, and then they can go to drama, the dark side. They can write very Germanic uh, music. Um, and then they can turn right around and write something so funny that, I mean, I, Freddie thought it was uh, a funny subject that dancers love to dance so much, but they, they're forever hurting themselves. So for my club act, which is what I did when Bob Plessy had his heart attack at the beginning of, of Chicago, we had some time there when Bossy had his heart attack. And Freddie and John said, and Ron Field, the choreographer, said, why don't we write a club act for you? And I went, oh my goodness, that would be great, but I'm frightened to death. I mean, I can't stand up there as Cheetah because I don't even know who Cheetah is. You know, I was so used to hiding behind characters. So they did, they wrote a, a, an absolutely fantastic act for me, which I'm still doing. I keep changing numbers, but Freddie thought it was so funny that dancers hurt themselves all the time, that there are, their legs are always in casts or their ankle isn't, you know, they twisted their ankle or they're on crutches. So he wrote a number called, they both wrote this number called pain. Why don't they mention the pain? Why don't they mention the terrible aches, the crash of the bone at the moment it breaks? Why don't they mention the pain? And, and I, I think we get uh, crash, bam, uh, ooh, something like that, noises. But we had crutches and we did the whole number on uh, crutches, which was really very funny. And everybody wanted to steal that number, but it was pretty wrote it for me. But um, so you asked me about Fred Ebb and John Cantor. I, I don't have to say a thing. Freddie knows exactly what I should say. For instance, also, um, I did, uh, what was it? What was that show? Oh, I, it just disappeared. Um, it was another number. I'll think of it. Uh, I'll think of it. Sorry. Oh, no. So I want to ask you next about Bring Back Birdie, which was your next Broadway show. Ugh. Ooh. <laughs> I, I always say in my club act, we did a, a show called Bring Back Birdie. We tried, but it wouldn't come back. Um, Bring Back Birdie, uh, we thought was a great idea. Dick Van Dyke, after Bye Bye Birdie, became a huge star in his television show that Carl Reiner wrote. And um, I teased him and said, it's a shame you have to go to California to do a, a dumb television show. It probably won't even be a hit. Well, it's still running. Um, and um, anyhow, 
um, uh, so bring back Bertie, <clears throat> it was how many years later? Um, 25 years later, or 30 years later, something like that. And, um, and I thought the idea was superb that Conrad was an older guy and he was a little overweight now and he couldn't fit in his gold pants. And um, uh, uh, Albert didn't know what to do with himself. And uh, it just, and, and Mama was um, a pain as she was in the first one, she was still a pain. So, but it wasn't, it was at a time where they were using electronics and um, I had a microwave uh, and a television set or something like that. And I put the, they got it all mixed up at one night during the show. And I put the chicken in the micro, I put the chicken in the television set and the, and the, and something else in the wrong thing in the in the microwave, and so it just didn't work. It, it just wasn't supposed to work, and um, unfortunately, but, but but fortunately, I got to know uh, uh, Donald O'Connor. That was a joy. Um, um, he was absolutely wonderful uh, in that part and uh, in that show, and he made it worthwhile. He and Maurice Hines was also in that show. And um, we had a great time, but it wasn't a very good show. <laughs> you know, yeah. So you can't win them all. You can't win them all. You can try. Yeah. But I do want to ask you about actually another great director, choreographer who you worked with on that, which was Joe Layton. Oh, that's right, Joe. Well, Joe was a, a wonderful dancer. I knew him as a dancer first. A very nice guy, very understanding guy. And I, I wanted it to be a hit for all of us. And I wanted it to be a hit for Joe. Uh, very talented, um, but that's a hard thing to do. Um, a duplicate of another show. Um, you know, you have to um, be very careful. and. Um, it was just the wrong timing for that show. You know, Joe Layton, uh, uh, I would love to have done more with Joe, uh, but it, it just didn't happen. Anyway. And I do want to ask you also about the next show you did on Broadway, which was Merlin with Doug Henning. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I love magic. Oh. And oh, I love magic. And he was extraordinary, uh, just extraordinary. We had to all sign a paper saying we weren't going to give anything away. Uh, and, and he had a great crew uh, of people that thought of, you know, we had a, 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 a girl replaced by a, a, a black cowboy, uh, was his name, a black panther. And um, I used to, he, he was always in his cage outside my dressing room. Uh, and so, uh, and I was very fond of Kaboy, uh, except you gotta be careful those, with wild animals, you know? You can't be foolish and think that you can be their friend uh, when you really don't know very much about animals. 
And um, and I, I, I remember one time there was a shoot that came from uh, backstage. It were two shoots, uh, and there was a girl in the on the on stage. She played the princess, and she um, she had to disappear, and so she and she had to be replaced by the cowboy, the black tiger, a black panther. And um, so she would scoot through this chute and Kaboy would come through the other. And then before you know it, the girl is turned into a black panther. And um, so, but before uh, that happened, I walked, I would sing part of the song on stage right of the cage. And then I would walk behind the cage that was to prove to you that there were no, there's no hanky panky going on. What's going on over there, Bertie? That's noisy. Uh, it's all right. And um, well, Kaboy learned my song because I had phony nails on, long nails, and I sang the first chorus or on stage right, and then I went across and I sang the second chorus on stage left of the cage. Well, he was waiting for me on stage left because he knew that I was, you know, I changed my position. And and I had my hand on the cage and he took them. He could have taken my fingers off, but he didn't. But he was beautiful though. He was absolutely beautiful. And there was a, a commercial that we had to do where I was standing in my cape and my crown and the evil witch. And, um, and I had to stand next to this gorgeous animal and pet him and say, nice kitty, just like that. And the um, trainer said to me, whatever you do, Oh, they brought the they, they brought him in. They cleared the studio. They brought him in. They threw him on the table, let him jump on the table. I'm about to sneeze. And um, then they took a slab of meat, raw meat, and they threw it on the table. And he was busy eating. And they said, go in now and see if you can touch him and say, nice kitty. And I did. And I almost, I put my hand up and he turned and he went ah, like that. And I, I went ah, and I jumped and the trainer caught me and said, don't move. You are exactly what he likes right now, a running target. You have gold in your crown. You have red in your cape. You have diamonds all over and you sparkle. And that's exactly what they chase. And so I, I mean, I, I learned not to take a, a, a wild animal, animal for granted, but I did get that shot. Oh. I got the shot and um, I'd love to have it myself to, to, to see it again. And I actually touched him and said, nice kitty. And it was very effective. It was very effective. And I also want to ask you, I think there were some actors who got their start in that show, including yeah. Nathan Lane, and I think others as well. Well, I guess, was, was that, I didn't realize that was Nathan's first, I, or if I, I just forgot, but Nathan was 
adorable. He was just as bad as he could be and just as negative as he could be and funny. He was, and he played my son and my cape was a beautiful cape and it was all lined in red and I believe. And um, at, at one point, um, there were holes in the stage. This is the magic. There was hold, there were holes in the stage and out of the holes, while I had my cape down, were um, small dancers about dancers that were, we had two of them or four of them that were about, well, less than five feet. Oh. And I would raise my, I would go like this with my arms out front and they were coming up through a hole in the stage and I had sticks on my cape and they took the sticks as I, and the cape stayed out as if I was holding it. So it looked, it was magic, it's magic, you know? And then the capes danced. You never saw the dancers underneath the capes. It was wonderful. Um, I, I don't think that show ran as long as it should have. I, I think Doug had some wonderful, wonderful ideas. He was sawed in half and, he, you know, all sorts of things. We had a great time. The only bad time was that was the time when my mother passed. And uh, I told you about that yesterday. And, um, but uh, outside of that experience, um, the, the show was really a lot of fun. And Doug Henning, he used to meditate before in every show. And um, it was nice to know that someone was focusing, you know, and you just stayed away from his room at a certain time and uh, you had respect for him. You know, he and his wife, his wife was in the show at the same time. Oh. Yeah. So I want to ask you next about something that I'm especially curious about, which is the rink. So okay. I first want to ask you, I guess, about Liza Minnelli and working with her in that too. Well, it was really wild because <clears throat> I was always a fan. Uh, she could sing, she could move, um, and, uh, and I loved her personality. And then they asked me to play her mother. Well, I said, I said, well, who, who, who's gonna, uh, well, I, in my club act, I say, Freddie calls me and asks me if I would like to do a show with Liza Minnelli. And, um, and he, he said, uh, um, well, I, and I say, uh, oh yes, Liza and I always wanted to do a show together. And, and he said, well, um, you're not exactly, um, being, uh, I said, we always wanted to be girlfriends. Oh. And he says, well, not, what, not exactly girlfriends, she did. I said, oh, really? He said, no, uh, the mother. And I say, well, who plays her, Liza or me? <laughs> it's insinuating that I'm not that much older than Liza to play her mother. But it was uh, only one time I, I stood in front of her and said, oh my goodness, this is really um, quite an experience because I knew her mother. I did her, had done her mother's show. Um, uh, I had been in England when her mother was playing there and had gone to a couple of 
dinners and, you know, shows and stuff. And uh, so, it, but it was really, really nice. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun um, playing. Uh, and, and of course, the guys, Scott Ellis was in it, yeah. you know, and um, oh, the other boys. You would know the names of the boys, but... Um, I think Jason uh, Alexander was in it. Yeah, Jason, Jason Alexander. They were, they were all the boys were great, um, and they had to roller skate, and so we had a we had a, a good time. Um, Liza works very hard, and um, uh, I, I I also remember I got the Tony for that show, and um, I forgot because that mother was not around and I remember talking about my mother a lot and I totally forgot to say anything about Liza and so uh, I felt really bad about it because I wanted to thank her she was my uh, uh, we were co-stars yeah. and um and so when I got back to the theater at the end of every show for quite a while I would stop the applause from the audience and and say, uh, I just wanted to thank Liza, since I forgot to thank her on the toadies for being, you know, who she is and, and, um, and a wonderful co-star. So it was a, it was a great experience. Um, I didn't, uh, you know, I, the part was terrific. Liza never got a chance to wear um, her sparkly, gorgeous clothes. She was in Levi's and the sweater I believe she wore a lot but she was wonderful in that show she was wonderful yeah and I do want to ask you because you mentioned it briefly if you have any memories of Judy Garland or more specific um yeah she was um, she loved dancers um I don't know if that's from her movie days or what but she always loved being with dancers and um and I, I can remember someone gave a party and the dancers were all in one room and, and uh, she excused herself from the party and came in the room and sat on the floor um, in the middle of the dancers uh, just to be with them and to join in on their conversation and laugh and tell jokes and whatever we were doing. Uh, so I was, I was quite... Um, I was quite moved by the fact that she uh, uh, she found herself very much like like uh, uh, us, you know. Yeah. And to do her television show was extraordinary. Um, uh, you know, you knew you were with a, a great star. Yeah. Um, yeah. She she came out. She had the magic. She had the magic. You know, uh, just as Liza has the magic. You always hope that you do. And so, um, but Judy Garland, she, she had it. She really, she really um, led with her heart. Yeah. I, I just want yes. to say that, yes. of, course, of course, you have that too. I'm oh, thank you, Tara. And I also want to ask you about actually another television thing that you did, which was with one of my favorite actors, George Burns. Um, <laughs> Oh, he was just on te television a couple of weeks ago. Oh my goodness. He was just wonderful. You know, um, I, I can, 
I can be goo-goo-eyed at, at certain people and George Burns was one of them. Um, you know, he was just naturally dry and funny, you know, and experienced. And, um, and he loved being with younger people, you know, and um, that was a long, long time ago, um, that show. Um, I, I also did a show with Maurice Chevalier. Do you know that oh. name? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was another person that in the middle of the number, I would go, oh my God, that's Maurice Chevalier. You know, you, co you come out of character for a second and go, oh, what am I doing here? You know, we, we older people have that, that feeling too sometimes, Charles. Yeah, we're, we're very, very lucky. Well, George Burns was a, a, a wonderful man. And um, I, didn't, I didn't get to know him at all uh, because I'm a New York girl. Um, as opposed to California or Vegas, you know? Yeah. So I do want to ask you next about working with Jerry Herman in Jerry's Girls. Well, Jerry Herman, wow. Um, we were very close. Um, Dorothy Loudon, uh, we had a, it was a, that was a great show. I thought it was a great formula. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and it proved how phenomenal these numbers were uh, because I love doing that one number where um, I dressed up as a guy and, um, and I sang. Um, who choreographed that? Who choreographed Jerry's Girls? I think that was um, Wayne Salento. Oh, <laughs> how dare me forget Wayne. Oh my gosh. Wayne was one of my my guys in my, in my uh, shows. And um, Wayne is a, when I say stupid, I mean, when things are so great that they go back to number one again, that's when I say, boy, he's so stupid. That means Wayne was phenomenal. And, um, and he gave us a lot of fun things to do. Um, uh, and, uh, and Jerry, Jerry was there changing keys and fixing things for us. He's a sweet, he was a very sweet gentleman, you know, um, because people are, are celebrities. Um, some people think that they are untouchable. Well, Jerry Herman was very touchable. You know, he could, um, he would, uh, he would really have liked you a lot. Yeah, he would have he would have liked you a whole lot because of your curiosity and the knowledge that you got at such a young age. Thank you, thank you. You're oh, uh, by the way, it was in Jerry's Girls that I had my wonderful, exciting car accident. Oh yeah. I left the theater and um, and I was driving. Um, a friend of, actually a, a driver of Liza's and a friend uh, of mine, and uh, she's a limousine driver. And was it Raquel Welch? Oh, oh I, I can't remember who else was in that car. Um, and, um, and I had a car accident. A cab hit, hit me broadside. And um, 
So I, I, I was replaced by about three people. Um, but um, I, 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 unfortunately, uh, I, I do remember uh, Jerry's girls involving that horrible car accident, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it could, it could have been much worse. It could have been worse. And I also want to ask about Dorothy Loudon and Leslie Adams. You had Dorothy was really funny. She was um, <clears throat> she was uh, straight out of uh, the reviews at that time. There were a lot of reviews being done, and she was a great sketch artist. She could change to into all different kinds of characters, but she had a very sarcastic sense of humor. And uh, it, it was wonderful because she was uh, clever, very clever that way. And, um, and with those, that smile of hers and that blonde hair, you know, uh, she could say the meanest thing and you would laugh at it. You would just laugh at it because she was so, <coughs> she was so funny. So uh, absolutely funny. And Leslie Uggams was the other person. And she and she had um, a great sense of uh, 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 Leslie had a beautiful voice, beautiful voice, and which of course Jerry Herman's songs. He had many beautiful romantic songs, um, and Jerry also um, he wrote different kinds of moods in his music. Um, and, uh, but I, mostly I feel he was romantic. There was lots of beautiful love songs, you know, fantastic. And was there ever a Jerry Herman role that you would have wanted to do in full? I know you did the uh, workshop of Dear World, but would, would there have been? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. You know, Charles, I, 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 I think I'd be doing, um, uh, the universe wrong by wishing I had could have done something else. I I have done I've been so lucky to have done so many wonderful shows that were successful, um, and if not critically, um, you know certainly they're still around and uh, people are doing them. And so I kind of feel like, I don't, I don't know if there's a part that I would really um, wish I had done. I think I've, 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 I've had some pretty sensational roles. Yeah. Um, I, I did do um, Drood. Oh, um, yeah, and I did not originate that role. Who was it, Lisa? Cleo Lane, a wonderful singer, English woman. Um, I did her role. And I, I have to admit, <clears throat> um, since I originated so many roles, I was used to originating roles, but I could hear Cleo Lane's voice in my ear every single night. And I think that was because I knew that she had originated it, you know. So she lay in there quietly, you know, um, every night. And another one of those great roles that you created is the next one I want to ask you about, which is the Spider Woman in Kiss of the Spider Woman. 
Well, now you're talking about it. it it's uh, that was a killer. That was um, that was an extraordinary idea. <clears throat> the subject matter was extraordinary. Um, I was really happy to do it because of the story. Uh, and then when they turned this woman death actually yeah. into into a the imagination of Molina, a movie star. Um, what a wonderful con uh, conception that is. Um, it, 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 I mean, I, I remember not being absolutely sure of what to to how how to do this role because it was it was pieces here and pieces there and I played the Spider Woman here and I play the actress there and then the play would go on. And I was on a ladder in rehearsals and, and I'm saying to myself, you know, okay, I'm a spider woman now. How am I going to make this one person? And I saw Brent Carver, who was magnificent in the show, um, as was uh, Anthony Cravello. And, um, and, I, and a voice inside my head said, just watch Brent, just copy Brent. You are Brent. And because he imitates you. And I went, I should have had a V8. Absolutely. Um, I, I got my character that day. Uh, so I easily went from, from this. And because he had said the only part that he um, didn't like that this actress had done was the part of death. And that's who he dances with at the very end of the play. Yeah. So it was beautifully um, conceived, just beautifully conceived. And it was also about people's differences, how we, you can't judge people by their being different. You have to meet them and get to know them and listen to them and, 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 and be a friend to them and understand them. And it's, these two guys were put in a tiny little cell and they, ha they hated each other at the beginning, but at the very end, they loved each other because they got to understand the differences, you know? And, 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 and that's what you go to theater for to hear great stories and learn something. And I thought how glamorous death was in this. She was, I mean, I had the most beautiful Florence Klotz dress. I mean, it was just gorgeous, but who was wearing it? Death was wearing it, you know? And um, so it was, a, it was a beautiful death. It was a, an attractive death. It was a death, an alluring death, one that he was not afraid of, finally. He was not afraid of her. So that's a great story, you know. It's a great story. Dark, but I like it. And as I like the, the visit, the visit is a dark story, but, um, but it's a great story. Yeah. yeah. And I do want to ask you about another sort of theater great who you worked with on this, which was Hal Prince. Well, I, well, Hal, I worked with him um, in Westside. He was the producer, one of the producers in Westside. So I've known him since 
uh, eight or nine or something. I can't remember. Yeah, 1957. Yeah, 1957. And um, yeah, that's right. And um, oh, he's like father, you know, he's like a daddy. He's like, he takes care of you. He's smart. He is, um, he allows you to have the emotion. He's a great uh, creator in that he, he puts the right people together. He puts the right designer together. Um, you know, um, some people can deal with, with people um, um, differently. He dealt with the scenery and the lights and the, you know, the book and the, and putting it all together that way. Um, and he allowed you to find the character. He allowed you to find the, 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 the to do the acting, yeah. you know, but he was such a nice guy. I never heard him raise his voice. Never. Yeah. So I want to ask you about a role that you've done twice, although neither time on Broadway, which is Reno Sweeney and Anything Goes. So what has it been like to do that role and what has sort of attracted you to do it? Well, one of the times was, was, was my daughter because she, uh, she played in the show also and she was so adorable. I can't remember the name of Denise's character. Is she here? No. And, um, and George Dvorsky, uh, and we did it in New Jersey, I guess. Uh, and it was, um, it, was a, oh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the score is a lot of fun. And I don't tap dance, but I can fake it. You know, I can make you think I can tap dance, but I can. I mean, I replaced Ann Miller. She, she got hurt and, um, um, they asked me if I would like to do it. And I said, of course I'd like to, but I don't tap dance. And replace Ann Miller? Nobody replaces Ann Miller, but at least they forgot to tap dance. And they said, well, you know, maybe, maybe you could try it. And so I did. Charles, I never hit the floor once. I did air taps. They call them air taps. I looked like I was tap dancing. I looked like I was just, and I got great reviews about my tap dancing. I can't tap dance. I don't know how to tap dance. And Mickey Callan was a hoofer and he was in the show and he was, he's an extraordinary hoofer. I teased him for years because I got, for the, my tap dancing, I got better reviews than he did. <laughs> and that's ridiculous. That is, that is so ridiculous. I can't tap a lick but I love the show I it, it was colorful and happy and joyous and you know it, it, it was great it was great and I loved working with um, um, George Jaborski he was wonderful wonderful yeah so I want to ask you about the only other revival you did on Broadway other than Edwin Drew which was nine. Oh yeah that I remember standing in the wings a lot, oh. um, watching things, you know. Um, well, of course, there's Antonio Banderas, the ugliest man in the world. 
Uh, and, uh, and I remember when they approached me, I was in California and they asked me if I would do, um, if I would do it and it, with Antonio. And I went and I was with the director and um, I loved the director so much. His name was uh, David Laveau. David, uh, Laveau. David Laveau, wonderful, wonderful uh, guy and a wonderful director. And we had a great lunch and he's English and, um, and he's a he, handsome face and terribly British at the same time. And um, so we had lunch and he, uh, I was swooning all through lunch. And I figured, I got this image in my head, I said, well, how can you go wrong with Antonio Banderas yeah. and this guy, this David Laveau? I mean, he's he seems great, but how can you go really wrong with Antonio? You know what I think? I, I, I and I saw myself hanging on in my mind, Antonio Banderas soaring through the sky, and me on his tail end, smiling. I was on for the ride. I just decided. I think I want to do this show just to be on Antonio's ride because it's going to be a great, every, everybody's going to love this guy. And they did, they did. And Antonio with, with eight, nine women on stage. I mean, how can you go wrong? Well, listen to me telling you a 13 year old about, about sex and Antonio Banderas. But he was wonderful in that show, never missed a show, gave you 150% all the time. And um, what I didn't know was that he was from the theater originally. And, um, and then he got, became, you know, Rudolph Valentino. He became, you know, the, the love, the great lover. But, um, uh, you know what's so nice, um, and you're reminding me of it. I met all of these wonderful people, and they've been in my life, and they've affected my life. And fortunately, they're nice people. I think when a a rat fink walks in the room, somebody that's not, and I think I turn around and walk the other way. Yeah. You know, I've been really lucky to work with extraordinary. <clears throat> pardon me, extraordinary people, you know, really nice. I mean, who would think Antonio was so approachable? Yeah. And I do want to ask about two more of those people, which were two people that you did sort of like duo shows with, which were Carol Channing and Tommy too. Well, Tommy, I've got his book. There's a wonderful book. Oh. That and, and it's skinny and tall. It's about this big. What a wonderful idea for a book for Tommy Toon because he's really tall. And he's also one of the nicest guys. He's a very spiritual guy. Um, he believes in being kind and, and giving. And, um, and uh, we, we, we just had a, a, a wonderful um, rapport because we felt the same about each other. And um, it, it had been many years that we both had been around and never worked together. So um, 
I, it was it was Tommy and Graciela Danielle, whom I call my soul sister. She directed and choreographed our show, and um, um, and it was it was a, a joy every single night that uh, that we shared this. And that's exactly what we did. We shared the stage together. So it was a, the audience was a mixture of both of our um, fans, you know. And uh, Tommy, I mean, Tommy does everything. He directs, he choreographs, he dances, he sings, he's an actor, and he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, and uh, was there somebody else? No. I think, um, Carol Channing. Oh, was there somebody else? <laughs> Only the biggest personality there is. I, it was because of Carol Channing, really, that I um, I, I, I quit the um, yearning for the ballet because I was with uh, the American School of Ballet, as you well know, and um, I was aiming straight for the ballet company and if they would take me. And, um, and then I went to see, I think it was the vamp. I'm not sure, but I think it was a bit. And it was my very first Broadway show that I had ever seen. And I, I was knocked back on my heels by this electric force that came on the stage that was just so, it was a cross between a cartoon and a real person and, and gorgeous blonde hair beautiful face, gorgeous body, and a character. I mean, the voice that you couldn't, you, you couldn't possibly not remember her. How in the world can you not remember Carol Chen? And when I finally got to work with her, <laughs> it was just a joy to sit across from her and on a stool and, and sing. Because you, you just, you wanted to hug her all the time. She was so cute. She was just so, she was there to please you. And yeah. that was it. And she was funny and she wasn't afraid of anything. And if I were to think of colors, I would think pink and, 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 and white and uh, blue and light purple, you know, technicolors. That's Carol Channing. She's all, she's bright, wonderful, wonderful colors. She makes you smile. When you think of Carol Channing, you have to smile. I must say, though, I, 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 she's gone now, so I can tell this. And it's not a terrible story. Anyhow, it's a wonderful story, but it's funny. We were having dinner and she was with her husband and there were three or four of us at the table. And we ordered um, lobster. And the lobster came and she couldn't break it. So she took off her shoe and she hit the lobster with her shoe. And, and I, I was so stunned because the entire place, you know, if she walks in, the entire place says, there's Carol Channing, there's Carol Channing. And I was so embarrassed for her because I didn't want anybody to laugh at her. 
even though I was laughing. I didn't want anybody to laugh at her. And so I went, stop her, stop her, please stop it, stop her. And she just banged on that lobster, got that lobster tail open, and she had her lobster. And it was just so a lobster, I think. Oh, our darling Carol. So if you if you ever have trouble opening up a lobster, Charles, just use your shoe. The, the heel of your shoe. Just use the heel of your shoe. So I, I do want to make sure that I get to ask you about the visit. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm, I'm cleaning out some boxes that I have a lot of boxes still from my last move, which was five years ago. Um, um, I, and, and I see, because I, I, I did it at the roundabout then I did it at um, uh, in New uh, in um, New Jersey, and then I did it in New York, and I just thought it was an extraordinary piece of theater. Uh, it's very dark, and when one is asked to describe the story, it doesn't. You almost laugh because the woman comes in with a casket with these men and an empty casket and she leaves with a casket, but he's in it. Yeah. And, um, but it's a story of, uh, it's a, it's a really a love story. Yeah. And, um, and it's very European. It's not American. It's not Walt Disney. It's not a happy ending. Yeah. And I love Walt Disney. My house is filled with with Mickey Mouse, mm -hmm. thanks to my daughter Lisa. Um, but um, it, it, it it's a it's a it's about a woman, a young girl who falls in love, and has has a baby, but she's uh, she's chased out of town at a young age, and while she's away, she marries several rich men. And she becomes rich and sends money back to this village to keep it alive. Um, and, but the man, the boy that she fell in love with um, was um, married to someone else. And, um, and he was not a nice guy. Yeah. He just had to be reminded to be faithful. And he didn't support her. He just let them kick her out of town. So she comes back and she all she's doing is she wants everybody to know the truth, that she wasn't a naughty girl, that she was very much in love. And, and, um, and so it's about the two, it's about her telling the whole town what the truth was and how naughty he was and, um, and then you find out that um, the people, in the, the folks in, in the town are, are willing to give him up. Yeah. And so you see how greedy people can be themselves uh, when they think only of themselves. And um, so they all get together and they kill him uh, for her. And um, but by the time they kill him, he has been. He realized realizes that um, he was wrong. 
you know, and, um, and that he had a child and the child died yeah. and he wasted his life. And so he realizes that he really did love her. He just let other people stray his mind. And so, um, but she does leave with his body in the casket. Yeah. And in my mind, she takes him up the body up to um, the Amalfi Drive in Italy. And she has her, uh, has another casket up there. And the two of them lived forever after um, uh, in, the, in the casket overlooking the, um, um, uh, the um, what's the ocean up there? Um, the Mediterranean. Yeah, so it's a very European story because yeah. it involves it, 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 it involves vengeance and um, truth and um, and death yeah. and love and definitely love. So it's I, I've got to find a way to be able to to describe that show without you know taking hour and a half. To explain it, I've got to find a way, you know, to describe it in a short. So, if you if you know of a way to describe that show, give me a call and let me know. Okay. 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 So, because I'm sure everyone would want to know your opinion on this, is how do you think theater will come back? How do you think it will change? What do you think it will be like? I don't. I really don't. We don't know, but we hope. We have to be cautious. I think the theaters will have to be smaller to start with. I, I, I don't think you can have, because uh, you're too young, I guess, maybe not. Um, I noticed uh, before the pandemic, um, the, the, they were adding seats. They were making the seats smaller. Well, that's greed. That's, that's not comfort, that's greed. This way, I think we're going to have to go back to the way the seats either were or less, certainly less people in the theater. Yeah. I think we're gonna have to wear masks for a while, um, but I think we're gonna come back. Absolutely, yeah. we're gonna come back fighting and strong and uh, I hope uh, aware more aware of each other than we were even before. Um, and I hope it's the theater. I hope everybody didn't run out to California to do movies, <laughs> you know. I, I hope they stay here, write the books and, and, and have you and your, you know, your, um, the, 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 the younger generation um, be a huge part of the thing. Well, unfortunately, I think we're at the end of the hour that I have with you, but I do want to ask you sort of a concluding question, if that's all right, which is um, a, a piece of advice that you would give after such a long career in the theater and such a legendary one to someone starting out. Well, you know, I, I, I have learned that you have to, first of all, respect what you're doing. You must respect those people that have given their blood, their life's blood to the page, the libretto and the, and the composer. 
you must respect them. You must do as they say. Um, respect for the piece, respect for the theater. The theater is an amazing place to work. Um, and have respect, respect is really the word. Uh, and do the, for the audience also. Um, and do the very, very best you can. That's all you can ask to be done, ask to do. Just the best that you know how. And know that since you were hired, they made the right choice. Yeah. You know, they've made the right choice. So don't be insecure about that. Just do as they say. And, um, and, and, and don't let your life go by without enjoying it you know you 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 want to enjoy and you want to enjoy each other because this is live this is this is breathing the air you're if there's one person out there you can affect that one person's life it's an important thing anybody that is watching they can be affected by you you're a very strong um, component in your life, who you are, and, um, and in a person's life that is, is sitting in that theater. I've had letters, wonderful letters of people that said, I was carrying my first baby when I saw you in. I was, I, my husband asked me to, um, asked me to, um, to marry him the night I saw you in, you know, and, and you and to know that you're a part of people's lives is a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know, so you're you're it's it's and, and don't think that being in the theater is um not a part of your living life. It is. Yeah. It is, it is. You are it, it's 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 a profession but it is still your life. And when you reach this stage that I am at now, you, you can't really believe, um, but you have to believe that you were so lucky to have met all of these wonderful, wonderful people that have had an effect on your life. Remember, everything is important even the things that don't seem important, they're important enough to push aside, to know, you, you know, I, I want you to know what, what, you know, what your life is, is. So that, you know, when I look back at some of the things that I was blessed to do, I, I want to thank God for that, you know, uh, and what life I have, um, like you, uh, you have that much. Um, it's important, really, really important because you are, there's only one you. There's only one you, there's nobody else like you in the world. And so know that, don't be arrogant with it, but just know that. Know that your mouth, your speak, your speech is each word you say is an important word, even if it's made, meant to be funny or whatever, and use your ears to hear and your eyes to see. I'm awfully glad. I hope I get a chance to meet you, Charles. 
I really hope I get a chance to meet you. And I'll remember you? this day, okay? Okay. Thank thank you so much for doing I'm sorry. Thank you. You you brighten my life, okay? Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for doing this. It was an honor to be able to speak to you and to be able to virtually meet you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. I'm sure you must have had as much fun as I did listening to the stories and insights of Cheetah Rivera. And if you did like what you heard, please leave a review wherever you listen. It will help the show continue to gain popularity. And remember to tune back in next time when we are joined by legendary artist and illustrator Hilary Knight. In addition to working on the Eloise books with Kate Thompson, Mr. Knight worked as a set designer at the Ogunquit Playhouse under the direction of George Abbott, created illustrations for over 50 books and wrote nine of them, and created the logos for such shows as Nono Nanette, Half a Sixpence, Hallelujah Baby, Irene, Sugar Babies, I Love My Wife, Angela Lansbury's Gypsy, and more. I hope you'll enjoy that episode as well. Thanks for tuning in.